7.6 billion. Now that's a big number. That's how many people there are on Earth. In the US alone, estimates say that out of 328 million, there are nearly 246 million lost souls, men, women, boys, and girls that don't know Jesus. Those numbers seem big, but what if we were to focus on the number one? The Bible tells us that heaven rejoices every time one person comes to know Jesus. What if we were to focus on the daily conversations, those everyday meaningful interactions for Christ that can truly make an eternal difference in someone's life? We can reach our nation with the gospel. We can reach the millions. We can reach our friends and family and neighbors by starting with one. Who's your one? Well, that's the question we're asking one another as we kind of re re-engage here in the fall with the return of school and routines. And uh, if you were here last week, we, we talked about the value of one and, and what an awesome sight it was just to see all across uh, the, the altar here, just hundreds and hundreds of names uh, of individuals uh, that, that God's just kind of laid on your heart. Someone to say, I'm, I'm praying and I'm asking God to, to move uh, very powerfully in their life and even to use me uh, to be one who helps point them toward uh, Jesus Christ. And, and with that in mind, I just thought it would be appropriate because we want to encourage you to do this in all the different environments, whether that's a, a small group or a class or a get-together or whatever it may be, but uh, just to take a moment and pray uh, for your one. And so before we dig into the teaching time this morning, I, I just wanted to invite you to do that uh, this morning. Uh, and whether you were here last week when we first talked about that or not, just to take just a moment uh, with me. And, and we're just going to pray for, for that one. And so I'm just going to invite you just for a few moments of silent prayer, and then I'll, I'll uh, bring us back together as a group. So let's just pray right now for our one. Father, as we cry out to you for our one, we come and just acknowledge that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. And the only way that any of us would ever have an openness to you is because of the, the work of your grace in our life. And so, Father, we, we pray for our one. We pray, many of us, for, for lots of ones that have just mean so much to us, Father. Lord, would you open their eyes? Would you soften their hearts? Would you stir in them a, a sense of their need uh, for something more? Uh, for that which can only be provided through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And Father, we just ask even today as we enter into this time around your word that you might, might sharpen our sense of, of calling, of responsibility, of opportunity uh, to be one who helps point someone to Jesus Christ. Father, we just open ourselves to you in these moments. Speak to us, shape us, use us. We ask in Christ Jesus' name, amen. 
Oh, we are going to continue to focus on our, our who's your one, and we, we want to just spend one more week here and, and really want to talk about uh, what, it, what it means, what it might look like uh, to, to follow Jesus, to be one who follows Jesus. And you know, follow has kind of a whole different meaning now than it did a dozen years ago, right? I mean, a dozen years ago, you might have said, kids play follow the leader, or, uh, or you might say, can't you follow directions, or maybe one spouse would look at the other and say, you're following that car way too closely, or whatever it might be. But now when we talk about follow in our culture, a lot of our minds almost immediately leap to social media, right? Follow is about a click. Uh, that I, I follow so-and-so on Facebook or Instagram or, or uh, whatever it might be. Uh, and fact is, uh, just curiosity's sake, anybody know who has the most uh, Facebook, the individual has the most Facebook or, or Instagram followers right now? It's not Donald Trump. Cristiano Ronaldo, the soccer player, uh, 150 million Instagram followers, 122 followers on Facebook. And what in the world does that mean? Well, that means there's a whole lot of people who clicked, right? A whole lot of people that says, I at least have an interest, or I know who this person is, or I want more information, or whatever else it might be. But Jesus talked about following. In fact, that was his invitation to people to come and to follow him. But when Jesus issued an invitation to follow, it wasn't just uh, be interested or uh, get some information or, or just kind of follow my photographs, you know, here we are eating by the Sea of Galilee or whatever it might be, right? And no, no, he, it was an invitation to radically alter your life. It was an invitation to come and to walk with him to learn from him, to obey him, to follow in his pattern of living in life, to become like him. That is the essence of following Jesus. And at part of the heart of that, Jesus said from the very beginning in Matthew's gospel, when he first issued that invitation to those fishermen, he said, follow me and I will make you. Follow me because I'm going to do something in you. I will make you fishers of men. Inherent in the call to follow Christ was to be involved in his mission. To be involved as part of, we said last week, a part of his search and rescue team. To be involved in looking at pointing people to Jesus Christ. Follow me. And I will make you, I will do something in your life so that you more and more become a fisher of men. Let, let me put this another way. We, we talk about discipleship, right? We're getting ready to have disciple life classes and uh, we have discipleship groups and uh, journey groups and Sunday school classes and on and on and on, the Bible studies and on and on and on the list goes. But hear my heart on this. Discipleship that does not share the gospel is not New Testament discipleship. And, and I'm afraid that at times we have disconnected those. And we've made discipleship about Bible knowledge only. And we've made the, the discipleship about uh, completing a course or being involved in this group or whatever it is. Those are just tools. 
Those are tools that God uses to shape our life so that our life becomes more like Jesus Christ, who was the one who came to seek and to save those who are lost, is the one who said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And if discipleship, whatever tool you use for that, does not share the gospel, then whatever it is, it is not New Testament discipleship. It is not following Jesus. Following Jesus is to follow him on mission. And it was that way from the beginning. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. It was that way throughout as he invested his life in the life of those disciples. So I want us to learn from Jesus in Matthew chapter 9. And then I want to offer a a tool that I hope might be something very practical to help you as you uh, follow Jesus' own mission. In Matthew chapter 9, in the whole chapter, he's been, he, he's been touching lives, he's been healing, he's been uh, teaching, he's called Matthew uh, as a disciple, he's answered questions. And then at the end of the chapter, I, I want us to see some things. First of all, I just want you to see what it is that he actually did. What it is that Jesus actually did. Verse 35, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. What did Jesus do? Well, it says that he went, right? He went. And some of you are thinking, I got up this morning for that brilliant insight, right? How many years of school did you go to, Jeff, to be able to unearth nuggets like that from Scripture, right? He went, but that is not insignificant. He didn't stay and say, here I am, y'all come, if you want to hear. He went. He went to where people were. He moved out of of that which would have been easier, more comfortable for him. He he went, and in much the same way, to follow Jesus is to to go. He he went, and not only did he he go, but he communicated along the way, right? He communicated, and so he's he's going, and he's he's teaching, and he's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Now, that doesn't mean that every one of us is going to stand in front of a crowd, but it means every one of us communicates, right? We're all communicators. We do it in different ways, different styles, different settings, uh, different levels of uh, perhaps intensity or passion, depending on the subject along the way. But we all communicate. Sometimes we do it really well. Sometimes we do it really poorly, right? But we communicate. And among the things that we communicate as a follower of Jesus Christ is the gospel of the kingdom the good news of what Jesus has done. He went, he communicated, but he also met needs. He he touched people, these real physical needs where people were hurting. He he leaned in and entered into that hurting along the way. And so by implication, if we're following Jesus, if we're doing what Jesus did, then like Jesus, we're called to go and share the gospel in word and deed. 
It's not either or, and by nature, some of us lean more toward one than the other, but it's both and, not either or, in word and deed, with our life and with our lips. We are to be gossipers of the gospel, communicators of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's going to require us to go, to stretch, to, to, to even be aware of the circles we're already moving in, we're already going in as you are going, to be aware of where are those opportunities to show and tell to show and tell the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus did. But I also want you to see in these brief verses what it is that Jesus saw. As he went, what did he see? Verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. What did Jesus see? Well, first of all, he saw people, right? He saw people. And that sometimes is huge because sometimes in a, we just see a crowd. We just see traffic. We just see people who are making it harder for me to get from point A to point B. Uh, we see somebody that's not moving fast enough to complete this transaction that I want to complete, right? He saw people. He saw people. And he saw their needs. He saw their needs. And I don't know who all was in that crowd, but... If it was like most crowds, there were probably folks that were doing pretty good, some folks that were really struggling. Some folks that might have seemed to have their act together, and some folks that maybe felt like everything was flying apart. But what he recognized is that they all had a need. Whether they were up and rising or down and out, they had a need. They were of a condition a condition where they were helpless. He said they were like sheep without a shepherd. They, they may have been very socially well perceived. They may have been very financially successful, but he saw that they had a need. He saw their condition. They were without, without hope for eternity because they were separated from God and God's love that was available to them in Jesus Christ. So he saw their need. He saw their condition. But I think Jesus also saw their potential. He saw who they could be in Jesus Christ. He saw what God the Father had designed them to be. He saw what they could be restored to a right relationship with Him. He saw what could be in the kingdom of God when it came in all of its fullness and a new heaven and a new earth. And He saw the potential. And so as we follow Christ, He's going to open our eyes. He's going to open our eyes to begin to see as He sees. To see people, whether they seem to have it all together or seem to have everything flowing apart, to see people, their needs beyond just the surface, their condition apart from God, and yes, their potential, their potential in a relationship with God. But also, not only in that verse do we see what Jesus saw, but we can see what he felt. What he felt. Said that as he saw them, he felt compassion. Compassion. It is to be deeply moved. Uh, more literally, it's to be moved in the bowels. There was this, this gut 
reaction, that there was something, it just, it, it touched him, it touched a, a part of him, that these were people that mattered, and they mattered to him, and as we talked about last week, they were worth the effort of an all-out search, and, and so he was deeply moved, he had compassion. The message paraphrase, Eugene Peterson said, his heart broke. His heart broke as he saw people uh, across the whole spectrum of society, but he knew their condition apart from Jesus Christ. And it is that same love, that same compassion, that same even breaking of heart that God wants to create uh, in you and I. Paul would later write that the love of Christ controls us. The love of Christ is what compels us to live as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. It is that love, the love God has for us, the love that God has for other people through us that begins to control our lives. And see what Jesus wants to do, he says, follow me and I'll open your hearts to feel what I feel. Not only to see what he sees, but to begin to to feel a compassion, a love, a, a compulsion, a care that he feels. And so I want to pause here and just maybe put these next two points around some questions, or these last two points, I should say. How do you see, how do we see the people around us? Do we just see the exterior? Are we allowing God to help us to see a little below the surface? Do we see a person in just a transactional fashion? Or do we have a growing sense of this is a person that matters to God? How do we see people? And then secondly, how do we react to people? How do you react to people? Sometimes there are people that intimidate us, right? I mean, it's like, whoa, they seem to have their life so together. I was like, I don't, I don't, I'm kind of, I'm, should I even bring up Christ? Because, it, man, it seems like they're doing like better than I am, right? Or sometimes maybe we judge people or pigeonhole them or quickly categorize them. And I need Christ to give me the capacity to see beyond the surface and and to react not, not by judging or not by being intimidated, but by recognizing that we all have a common need for a Savior. And that it's not about my perfection, but it's about the perfection of Jesus Christ. And to react to them in love. How are you seeing people? How are you reacting to those around you? A fourth thing that I want you to see in these verses is what it is that Jesus said. So as he goes, as he sees, as he feels, what did did he say? What did he say to those followers? Verse 37, then he said to his disciples, it's not necessary for the whole crowd, he's saying to those who have said, we're going to follow you. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, in light of that reality, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. What is it that Jesus said? 
Not exactly maybe what we would expect. The first thing he said, which is perhaps stretching for us even today in our culture, is there is an abundant harvest. There is an abundant harvest. And now sometimes we, we're not sure we really believe that because we read. We read the stats. We read what people say. Well, there's where we're progressively becoming more secular as a culture. And we, we see what's happening sometimes in church attendance and, and all these other things and, and maybe even some personal experience. It's like, I don't know. I don't, I don't see a lot of people around me that feel like, like there's an abundant harvest. But I have to come back and I have to recognize that Jesus sees what I don't see. Jesus knows what I don't know. God is working where I don't always recognize it at first. And so I begin to shift my mindset and say, God, help me. Help me to trust your evaluation more than my evaluation. And you've said the harvest is plentiful. And you know what that says? I'm working. God says, I'm working in the lives of people. And you may not see it. You may not recognize it. You may even be like, well, you couldn't be working in them because they're, woo, they are really rough on the outside, right? Or, woo, no way. I mean, uh, they, I can remember, I think I even tried to have a conversation with them one time, and it was like, wow, I got shut down, right? And you begin to think, no, 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 no. Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful. That there are people all around that God's Spirit is stirring in their life. That He's bringing them to a point of asking questions, of wondering that which they thought would bring fulfillment and happiness and joy to their life, why it hasn't yet. Why the more they have and the more they do, the emptier they feel. And God is working in these lives. And we don't always know that until we push past the pain point. That, that, that point of, of, of hesitation where it's like, oh, I don't want to say anything because I don't want them to judge me or I don't want to get shut down or shot down. But I lean in. And when I push past that fear of man, sometimes I discover, wow, God, I got to tell you, I would have never, ever thought they would be open to this conversation. And God, I never, never thought you would be working in their life. I never, never thought that they were searching for answers. Doesn't always happen, obviously. But Jesus said, regardless of your perception, regardless of what the news stories will tell you, regardless even sometimes of what other Christians will tell you, the harvest is plentiful. The problem is there's a labor shortage, right? And some of you are in positions of hiring in your company. You know, there's even sometimes in a, in a good economy, sometimes it's, there's a labor shortage, right? There, there's, a, there's a challenge to find some folks to fill certain jobs. Jesus said, there's an abundant harvest, but the challenge is 
those who follow me, who I want to make fishers of men, don't enter into the field. They hang out at the house. They get busy. They get distracted. They pile up other things that become higher priorities. And this gets put to the back burner or just buried completely. And in light of those two realities, an abundant harvest and a labor shortage, he said, pray. He said, pray. But he gave a very interesting prayer priority. A very interesting prayer priority. The prayer was thrust forth, send out laborers into his harvest. He he didn't instruct them to pray that the world would come to the church. I mean, after all, our service times are on our website. I mean, what else can we do, right? I mean, my goodness. We even put a few, like, new signs outside. I mean, good gracious, right? He didn't pray that. He didn't tell us to pray that. He said, no, 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 no. Pray that the church would go to the world. Pray that those who know my name, those whose lives have been and are being transformed by my grace, would go forth. Would go forth in love, would go forth in compassion, would go forth with a little Holy Spirit courage. Would sprinkle some seeds, would water some seeds, would just see what happens. Pray. God would send forth laborers. That's where we start. What is it that Jesus said? But then I also want you to to see what is it that Jesus did? What did Jesus actually do? After he told them to pray, and then if you go into chapter 10, and by the way, just as a reminder, uh, the chapters and verses, uh, they weren't like part of the original document, right? When Matthew wrote down this gospel, he didn't say like chapter 10, right? And no, no, these were kind of inserted many, many, many years later as a way to kind of help reference where we're at. Uh, but sometimes the chapter breaks at an infor- unfortunate place, and I think this is one of those examples, because It's right after, right after this prayer thing, and he called to him his 12 disciples, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction. Goes on to name the apostles, then verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out. He sent them out, and he gave them very specific instructions for that particular moment, that particular mission trip, if you will. What is it that Jesus did? He called them to him. And that's where it always begins. It always begins with our relationship with him. Jesus calls us to himself. And as he calls us to himself, he granted them authority. He granted them authority. It's the same authority that you and I have been granted as a follower of Jesus Christ. He says in the Great Commission passage, the end of Matthew's gospel, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth, and you are to go therefore, as you are going, make disciples. And so we, we go, uh, not, not in arrogance, not, not because well, we got it perfectly together, 
together or we're better than anybody else. No, we go under authority. We go under the authority of the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who is sovereign over all creation, the one who loved us and redeemed us through the cross of Jesus Christ, the one who says, go. He granted them authority to go. You don't need anybody else's permission. You've already been told to go. He called them to him, he granted them authority, and then he sent them out. He sent them out. The very thing that he had just been telling them to pray about, that God would thrust forth, would send forth laborers unto the harvest field. And so he sends them out. Because what happens to us is we begin to realize that Christ is in me, but it's not just for me, it's also for them. That the gospel came to me on its way to somebody else. That I wasn't to be like the, the cul-de-sac here. I wasn't to be the, the end of the road for the gospel. But the gospel came to me, but it is also on its way through me to somebody else. And the question then becomes, am I available? Am I available for him to send me into his harvest field. But if you're going to go into the harvest field, it helps to have a tool, doesn't it? It helps to have a tool. Uh, tools for harvesting crops have certainly changed through the years as technologies uh, improve, but at some point you still got to have somebody in the field using a tool to bring in the harvest. And so what I want to do this morning is just offer to you a tool. It's a tool we've talked about before. We've, we've shared it before. We've taught it before. Uh, but I like it because it's a very, very simple tool. It's adaptable. You make it your own. You could move around. So we've got a big blank space in your note-taking guide, right? And this is art time. Okay, you get to draw three circles, all right? Since we're back to school, you know, get out a pen, pencil, or whatever you got, uh, and uh, we're going to do a little drawing together, okay? Uh, and I'm going to let uh, Jimmy Scroggins kind of teach us this. Uh, Jimmy pastors in South Florida where they kind of develop this three circles life conversation tool and uh, just kind of has a real tight presentation of that. So give your attention to the screen for the next few minutes. Draw some circles, sharpen your use of a tool. Jimmy Scroggins again, working on our Gospel Conversations training. And I want to give you an example that you can maybe follow as you try to get ready to get reps to share the Gospel of Jesus. So I'm going to show you the three circles, just the Gospel piece right now on the board. The Bible tells us that God has a design for our lives, that God cares about every aspect of our lives. That's our families, that's our personal lives, that's our choices, our money, our sex life. Really everything about our life, God has a design for it. If we live according to God's design, then we have the opportunity to live in the arena of God's blessing. The problem is that all of us have a tendency to depart from God's design. When we depart from God's design, the Bible has a word for that, and the word is sin, 
And inevitably, when we sin against God, when we leave His design, we end up in a place that we call brokenness. Now, all of us know what brokenness feels like. It feels like emptiness. It feels like guilt. It feels like rejection. It feels like shame. It feels like regret. But when we get in this place of brokenness, we always try to fix it. So we try to maybe dive into a different relationship or try to make more money or try to become more religious. But whatever we do, we try to mitigate the pain of our brokenness. We try to escape our brokenness in some way. Now, brokenness really hurts and it feels like a terrible thing. But the truth is it's a good thing because brokenness draws our attention to the need for change in our lives. But the change that we need doesn't come from in here. The change we need comes from somewhere else. The good news is that the Bible tells us where that kind of change comes from. That kind of change comes from what's called the good news or the story of the gospel. Gospel is just the Bible word that means good news. The gospel is the story of Jesus. Jesus, who is the son of God, who came to earth and he never departed from God's design in any way, not even one time. But Jesus was crucified on the cross for, the Bible says, the sins of the world. That's my sins and your sins. And when Jesus was hanging on the cross, God did a miracle. He took the sins of the world, our sins, and put them on Jesus. And Jesus received the punishment from God for our sins. When he'd done everything that he came to do, he said it is finished and he died. They took his body off the cross, they buried him, and three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead. The Bible says that God raised him from the dead to prove that Jesus was who he said he was, the Son of God, and that he could do what he came to do, forgive our sins and heal the broken places in our lives. The kind of change we need doesn't come from in here. The kind of change we need comes from the gospel itself. The Bible says that what we need to do when we find ourselves in brokenness is repent of our sins. In other words, change our heart, change our mind, change our direction, and believe the gospel story. That's the story of Jesus, how he was crucified for our sins and raised from the dead. The Bible says if we'll repent and believe, then Jesus will come into our lives. He'll forgive our sins and begin to heal the broken places in our lives. And then the Bible says that God will give us the opportunity to recover and pursue God's design for our lives. The cool thing about this is that we get to recover and pursue God's design from wherever we are. We don't have to turn back the past. We get to go and believe God and walk with God from right here. Now this is just the gospel piece. There's other things that you need to learn and other things that you need to rep. But I hope that this will help you as you learn to share the gospel of Jesus, turning everyday conversations into gospel conversations. That's pretty simple, right? Pretty easy to understand. Language that even if you don't have a lot of church background or familiar with the Bible, you can relate to. And one of the things I like about it is you, you can kind of start anywhere. A lot of times, just to, if I've used that, just talk about start with brokenness. You just kind of start, what's, you know, start talking about what's going on in the world and what's happening. Yeah, we kind of live in a broken world, don't we? Why do you think that is? You, you can kind of start. You make it your own, okay? Make it your own. I'll just, I'll just add just a couple things that have been helpful uh, to me in that. Uh, a lot of times I, I like the terms when it, when it gets from the, the, the broken circle coming around to the gospel. Uh, I, I like to use the words turn and trust. Turn and trust. 
not against repent and believe. So sometimes I'll put turn and trust on one side and repent and believe. The kind of talk about the Bible has these words in it. But it's to turn. It's to turn from uh, departing, departing from God's design. It's to turn from those things that have led and fed my brokenness and to trust. To trust in the completed and finished work of Jesus Christ. To trust Him uh, with my past, my present, and my future. Sometimes when even walk, talking through the gospel, uh, we'll, we'll just use some things because I think sometimes visuals help. Uh, but just talk about just an arrow down uh, that, that Jesus came. That Jesus gave up the, the glories of heaven. He came to this earth. He, he lived a life uh, completely aligned uh, with God's design. Uh, but he died on a cross. He, he voluntarily went, went to a cross to die uh, the, the death that I deserve to die because of my sin. Uh, but God the Father didn't leave him there, that he was, he was resurrected uh, from the dead. Uh, and uh, again, that's kind of God's seal of approval on everything that he's done. And then sometimes we'll even just put kind of uh, my uh, poor drawing of a crown, uh, that he, he's now uh, in heaven. Uh, where, where he's at the right hand of the Father, and he's coming again uh, someday as, as the rightful king to restore fully the kingdom. And, and as I turn and trust, I, I trust not only him to be the forgiver of my sin, but I trust him to be the king, uh, the rightful leader and Lord uh, of my life. And so you, you can make that any way that you want. Now, please hear me on this. This isn't the only tool, okay? It's a pretty good one, particularly in our culture today. Uh, but the power is not in the tool. Power is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And a tool just maybe gives us some language, uh, a way to, to handle that. Uh, let, let, me just, let me just encourage you. Uh, there, there's some resources out on the tables. Uh, there's some of these life conversation guides, three-circle life conversation guides. I want you to pick one of these up as you leave. They're in both lobbies. It's just, it'll just kind of review some of these things to help kind of ingrain it in your mind. It's not so much something to give to somebody as it is something for you, uh, but also something you could perhaps talk through with somebody else. Also, if you want to make it even easier, go to the app store, right, on your phone, right? Uh, just look for Life on Mission through the North American Mission Board, uh, and it's got it right there. You can pull it up on your phone, your iPad, or, or whatever it might be, and you can just walk through. You don't even have to have a, a, a something to write with. And if you really don't even think you can do that, actually you can just punch a video. Uh, and you can say, hey, would you watch this for the next few minutes with? Let's watch this together. And it'll walk through the three circles. So, so a, lot of, a lot of tools. And the only reason we just offer that is to say, get some tools in your tool belt and, and put them to work. But I also want to say before we move on, I don't Assume that everybody in the room has understood that message. And you may be here today, and if I were to ask you which of those circles best describes your life, maybe you say it feels more like brokenness right now. I'm trying to fix it, but I haven't been able to. And here's what I want to say to you today. We would love to just lean into this conversation a little bit more with you. To continue the dialogue, to answer a question or two, 
to point you to the one who gives us hope, or the one that we have found life in, and that is a relationship with Jesus Christ made possible by his life, his death, and his resurrection. And so at the end of our time, in just a few minutes, I'll just invite you to move back to that next step area. And there's just going to be some folks hanging out there, and they're just saying, hey, we're available. We're available to you. Any way that we can help you take that next step to learn a little bit more about Jesus Christ, we're here to serve you today. So please, let us uh, just continue that conversation with you. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, as we come to this inherent call of the gospel, this inherent call as a follower of Jesus Christ to become a fisher of men, I think we can respond in, in one of at least three ways. One is just to say, who me? Who me? And a lot of us say that, don't we? A lot of us say that because we feel like, who me? I mean, I'm not qualified. I go to school. I don't have that gift. Or uh, uh, they're going to ask me a question I don't know the answer to. And we begin to pile up all these reasons why it would be anybody but us. Kind of the way that a lot of folks in the Bible have tried to do through the years, Moses and others, like, who, me? Someone said years ago, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called, right? And as you just begin to step out and say, I'm available, he'll use you. But sometimes we just don't even say, who, me? We say, just honestly, not me. Not me. Not me, and sometimes it's because I don't feel qualified, or not me because I don't have any room for that in my life, or not me, I tried once and it was like a disaster, or not me, I, I've got so many other issues in my own life, who am I to ever tell, tell anybody else about Jesus as messed up as I feel right now? Or maybe if we don't say it by our lips, we say it with our life, not me, not me. I'll talk about football, talk about business. I might even talk about politics. <laughs> but not me. Not this. And I think the response that Christ is looking for is a response that says, send me. It says, send me. Not because I got it all together. Not because I'm slick. Uh, not because I, I, I'm like this theological wonder kid. But because I've been touched by your incredible grace. And it has changed me. And I want other people to know. And that's what happened to Isaiah in the Old Testament. He caught a glimpse of the holiness of God and it just wrecked him. And then he experienced a touch of God's grace. And then in response, he heard that question. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah, wrecked by the holiness of God, restored by the grace of God, says, here I am. Send And I think that's what it means to follow Jesus Christ. 
interesting in Matthew's gospel that we've been spending time in. His first call to his disciples was, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Then we see him doing what he just did there in chapter 9 and 10. And then you fast forward to post-resurrection. The last words recorded in Matthew's gospel. The last words that Jesus is going to communicate to this group of followers. We know it is the Great Commission. All authority been given to me on heaven and earth in light of that go therefore and make disciples all the nations baptizing them in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit and i am with you always in this i am with you always to the end of the age two things that i don't want you to ever lose sight of power and presence When he says to go, he says, go forth in his authority and his power. That's why Paul would say, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Power. But presence. And I am with you always to the very end of the age. When you step past that pain threshold, when you take a chance... In that moment, Jesus says, you don't go in your own authority, you go in mine. You don't go in your own power, you go in mine. And you don't go alone. I am with you. And so I think in the end, Jesus is just asking, are you available? Are you available? And as best I can, I want to say anew and afresh, Lord, as imperfectly as I've done it in the past, here I am. Send me. Let's pray to him together, please. Oh, Father, how we thank you that you are the one who sent Jesus Christ to do for us what we could have never done for ourselves. And Father, for many, many, many of us in this room, what we know is that you in love and grace and mercy sent people to us, people who modeled for us what it meant to to walk with you and follow you, people who sent across our path and they shared the greatest news of all, the gospel of Jesus Christ, people who prayed for us even when we didn't know it along the way. And so, Father, in light of your incredible grace, in light of of your calling in our life, in light of the value of even one today, we say, here we are. Send me. Send me. Now, as you just spend the last few moments we have in the room together, just silently before the